Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN Tan Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Like something on the side as well. Information. Three men and a girl came in. Relax, baby. Mr. Big's gonna take care of you in a minute. Black Queen on the Red King, Miss. Solitaire. My name's Bob. James Bob. I know who you are, what you are, and why you have come. You have made a mistake. You will not succeed. Rather a sweeping statement, considering we've never met. Cards have followed you for me. Now you get ripped off in Detroit, baby. You yell out to me. You hear? Is he on? Can't be too careful in New York City these days. <laughs> Funny how the least little thing amuses him. Fascinating. Well, that's you quite obviously, a, an amazing resemblance. Tell me, am I in there as well? Pick a card. Hand it over. You have found yourself. Oh, I'm telling you, go back to L.A. and clean it up. I'm coming out there and clean you up, and I mean that. Is this the stupid mother that tails you uptown? 
There seems to be some mistake. My name is... Ames is for tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him, now! Waste him? Is that a good thing? The reading is over. Nothing about my future? Us? Now, I promise you'll stay right there. I, I shan't be long. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hi, everybody. It's Derek Bell, the five-time Le Mans winner, three-time Daytona 24-hour winner, two-time world sports car champion. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about our activities and what we do. And don't forget to visit Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you can listen to all 356 shows. Last week, we celebrated our seven-year anniversary. This is the first show... Going into our eighth year, happens to be the 356th show, and 356 is kind of a significant number uh, because it's a Porsche 356, and so we're going to do a little Porsche 356 show. We have a very special guest coming on a little bit later this afternoon, and we're going to be talking about 356 Porsches. In fact, we're going to dedicate the whole show to Porsche 356s. And if you want to find out more about 356 Porsches, visit 356registry.com, and you too can keep the faith. But if you caught the beginning of the show, we did a uh, we played a little uh, clip from the uh, first Roger Moore James Bond movie, Live and Let Die, and uh, unfortunately he passed away here. So we're doing a little tribute to Roger Moore as well and the whole James Bond brand, since we're huge James Bond fans. And I think Live and Let Die was probably one of his best movies. It was pretty cool. It was kind of par for the 70s. It was just a neat movie. And Roger Moore had kind of a neat wit about him. And uh, so those of uh, us that were around back in the day that saw the uh, the first movie, matter of fact, I think it was 1973, and I recall we were in high school. I had a 1957 Thunderbird that I used to drive around, an old-school hot rod, primer black, uh, mag wheels, uh, you know, Funky steering wheel, funky shifter, and all that kind of stuff. Actually, it was converted to a four-speed. Most 57 Thunderbirds were either automatics or three-speed overdrives. Anyway, at uh, one point, I remember my friend and I, uh, Rock, from high school, we were on, uh, let's see, we were on uh, Cleveland Street, downtown Clearwater, and this guy pulls up in a Corvette, and Rock just looks over at him. It was a mid-year Corvette, probably a mid, you know, 63, 64, somewhere, 63 to 67. Rock looks at the guy, and he goes, Hey, you want to race? And I'm going, shh, don't do that. That's a Corvette. Probably blow our doors in. I had just a little meek, little 312, 245 horse, 312 wide block in it. And, you know, it was cool. It had a little cam in it. sounded kind of neat. It had a Holly four barrel on it and dual exhaust and all that stuff. Headman headers. Nothing fast. Nothing, you know, it was lucky if it get, you know, low 15s, I guess, you know, with the 300 gears that I had in it. It was a Corvette. It's probably a small block, 300 horse, 327, you know. It was definitely going to pull me. So the guy just looks over at me. He was kind of three sheets to the wind, and he had uh, this um, 
lady of the evening with him, I presume. And then because she looked kind of funky back in the day, you know, had a funky hairdo, you know, bouffant hairdo. That was kind of like the thing back in the 60s and early 70s. And he just looks over and he goes, ah, this, this, this car couldn't pull a string out of a blankety blank, 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 blank. So, uh, and obviously when the light turned green, in fact, we were in court and no, we were in Cleveland and Greenwood Avenue. That's exactly where we are. I forget it. I remember it exactly now. But anyway, so uh, we took off and he just sat there at the traffic light. And I thought, wow, he's definitely, uh, you know, sauced up. Anyway, we went out to uh, Clearwater Mall and that's uh, where the uh, theater was. It was called Clearwater Movie Theaters, I guess, back in the day. That's before you were around, Bobby. Yep. Your, your mom and I remember that because your mom and I used to go there. But anyway, so we saw the movie Live and Let Die in 1973. It was pretty cool. And uh, that's back when they had uh, real funky cars. And uh, yeah, that was also the year of big, ugly, ugly impact bumpers on the cars. In fact, all the cars in the movie were big, ugly impact bumper Chevrolets and caddies. Not to mention Superfly. Was the was the was the theme of a gangster car back in the day? You know, digging in the scene with the gang. You know what? We should have played some Curtis Mayfield. I forgot about that. Though you may not drive a great big Cadillac, diamond in the back, sunroof top, digging in the scene with a gangster lead, gangster white walls, TV antennas in the back. All right, way to go. Right on. Little Curtis Mayfield there. Diamond in the back. So, uh, yeah, they had some pretty cool movies. And, and the whole movie was Chevrolet's. And I think there was one other scene in there, too, where they were in the bayous of uh, Louisiana. And there was a funny scene with the uh, sheriff. Oh, what was his name? I can't remember now. Toby. Toby. I got me a regular Ben Hur down here. Doing 95 minimum. Need any help, Jacob? Hell no. Set of wheels, you just won't quit, boy. If there's yours, that is, huh? Uh, spin around, boy. Ten fingers on the fender. Legs apart. I'm sure this ain't exactly your debut with this sort of thing. You picked the wrong parish to haul ass through, boy. Nobody cuts and runs on Chef G.W. Pepper. And it's him speaking, uh, by the by. Anyway, that was a good movie. We enjoyed it. All right, so what did we do this past weekend? Uh, this past weekend, what we do? We went to St. Augustine because we went to visit our friends over there, the motorcycle guys, at the uh, PGA World of Golf Center. And it was riding in the history. And they had an amazing array of vintage bikes. If you go to our Facebook page, Gulfstream Motorsports, or actually Nostalgic Radio and Cars, we took some pretty good pictures, and uh, we had quite a bit of a following there. And uh, just some amazing bikes. So if you're really into vintage bikes, and if you're filming with ARMA, which is the uh, Vintage Motorcycle Racing Organization, ARMA, and uh, you don't have to be a former racer or anything like that, but if you like 
you know, the sport of vintage racing, racing an old bike, Arma is probably the place to do it. So whether you got a dirt bike, whether you got a road bike or anything like that, Arma is one of the organizations that, you know, provides venues around the country and various tracks. And uh, Barbara Motorsports, which is up in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, is probably the most noted one. So at any rate, um, so we went over to Riding in History, and there was some really amazing bikes there. A lot of, and, and the theme this year was Honda, or was Japanese bikes. There was a lot of Kawasaki's, Yamaha's, Hondas, and, and things like that. But they also had their fair uh, amount of British bikes, Triumph, BSAs, uh, American bikes, Harleys, Indians, and uh, a bike that's after my uh, own heart, and that was there was a Can-Am there, a 1976 Can-Am 175 Enduro. It was an excellent shape, and it was an original bike. I need to put a feature of that up there somewhere, but that was pretty cool. Then we moseyed on over to Orlando because Ace Cafe had their grand opening this past weekend. Okay, so on Saturday, they had the car show, which we went to. It was a pretty cool place. You need to check out Ace Cafe. It's right there off of... Uh, the interstate. I can't remember what road is that, Bobby. Uh, it's off of I four. Um, what was it? Actually, Robinson. Yes. Well, anyway, it's one street over from Church Street, right? Uh, well, you yes. can see you and, can see from the and, interstate. Yeah, yeah. So at any rate, so they, they Saturday they had the big car show, and then Sunday they had the big motorcycle thing, and uh, it's really cool. It's a nice restaurant. Had a plenty of room to to sit around and move around. Really nice layout, two story. Got a stage for music and everything and uh the car show was pretty cool they had a lot of neat cars there. a good variety of cars american cars domestic cars japanese cars plus some motorcycles you know not a lot of them but uh sunday was obviously the big motorcycle day 100 west livingston street <laughs> livingston street okay you know what i forgot to have you do by i forgot to have you do the social medias ah uh, yes facebook we'll twitter youtube linkedin and instagram at nostalgic radio and cars at nrc on air and Gulfstream motorsports is at Gulfstream Motorsports. Right. Okay. So uh, anyway, so we're coming into the summer. There's not a lot of car shows. We're just a few, like a week or so away from uh, June. This Memorial Day coming up this weekend, right, Bobby? Mm-hmm. Big yeah. salute to all our fighting men and women, our soldiers out there. Don't forget Memorial Day. You know, stop and say a few prayers for these guys. Okay, they do their best out there. But anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. <laughs> Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork. 
or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN Tan Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center in beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place, and you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Okay, we're back, and you tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, where was I before I was uh, went on a break there a second? Politely interrupted. <laughs> Politely interrupted. Yeah, we were talking about uh, what Ace Cafe or something. No, what else are I talking about? Ace Cafe, and then we got uh, the Smoking Rib Shack moving to four twenty six West Bay Drive. We will keep you updated on that as it happens next month. Yeah, and they're going to have a really nice restaurant, a lot bigger, a lot better. And they're going to have a full uh, beer and wine license, aren't they, this time? That's right. And they're planning on live entertainment. So don't forget to check out and visit our friends, the Rib Shack, the Rib Shack Cafe. How about a big shout-out to our affiliate radio station, WQBQ, up in Lake County, up in Leesburg. And, uh, yeah, WQBQ, the voice of Lake County. And a shout-out to all the people up there in the villages. They're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And a lot of car guys up there every third Saturday of the month up at the Villages. They have a big car show. In fact, I think this weekend in downtown Eustis is a uh, car show. And it's put on by, uh, I think, the local businesses. That's in Eustis. So if you go to floridacarshows.com, did I say that right, Bobby? FLACarshows.com. You can find out about all the car shows taking place around the state. And uh, so big shout out to... To Tara and our friends up there at uh, FloridaCarshows.com. In fact, uh, they were kind of uh, instrumental in helping uh, Ace Cafe get kind of uh, situated up there in uh, Orlando. That's It's been a long time coming. I think they've been working on that place for a year, but I'll tell you what. The place is absolutely incredible. It looks really good. Talk about a themed restaurant. It's really neat. And uh, so if you like motorcycles, you like vintage uh, European kind of English-British flair, definitely check out Ace Cafe. The menu is very good, too, by the way. And not real expensive. It's pretty cool. So anyway... Let's see. What else we got going on? Oh, I know what I started to say is it's getting warm. So now we're coming into boating season. So everybody's going to be out there splashing around in their boats and their sea dews. So big shout out to our friends down there at Barney's Motorcycle and, uh, I guess, Water Sports, you know. So uh, we've been talking to them a little bit. And uh, so if you need to get on a sea dew or uh, a motorcycle or something like that, go check out Barney's down there. So everybody be uh, heading for the hills, heading for the water. So that's what's going to be going on this 
this summer, and then I think uh, Sumter County's got the last uh, swap meet for the summer, and that's the first Sunday of every month. Also up at Renegers, if you're into music and stuff, the second Saturday, or maybe it's Sunday, second Sunday of the month, up at Renegers, up in Lake County there, up uh, just outside of Mount Dora, they have a music and car show type thing. So they got like a guitar swap meet, a car swap meet, a car show, and a guitar show, plus they have live music there. So you need to check out Renegers because they got that uh, guitars and cars thing going on. So, And then in the falls when everything starts firing back up again and uh, we got the super butt races. Did I say that right, Bobby? Clearwater super butt races coming this fall again or in mm-hmm. October. Okay, so that's going to be exciting. Clearwater well. super boat national championship. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, don't forget. Oh, that's way out there. <laughs> I know. Well, it's only a couple months. Of course, the big event over the summer is going to be Monterey. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see what else is going on. Let's see. We're going to have enough to talk about, right, this whole summer? We're not going to run out of things. Oh, right? no, we're never going to run out of things. Oh, that's because no. we have a lot of music stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah, music stuff. Sammy Later. Hager's coming this fall, yeah. too. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. And then, of course, Ted Nugent's coming to Orlando. What? That's coming up in, uh, what, month or two? Uh, July, yes. July, okay. So, hey, uh, check out uh, Golfstream Motorsports Facebook page because over the weekend, or last week, I got this phone call about this guy who was selling a car. Well, one thing led to another. Next thing you know, he tells me he's got the 64 Corvette laying out there. And uh, so that, that's, that motivated me to just, like, drop everything and go check out this Corvette. Well, it was in, I'll say, St. Petersburg area. And uh, here's a 64 Corvette Coupe. Just like real ratty, natural, ugly-looking, barn-fine quality car. But the thing that caught my eye was the six taillights. You know, Corvettes typically have two taillights in the back. But kind of a California, Southern California thing was uh, the six taillights. And if you remember the song Dead Man's Curve from uh, Jan and Dean, uh, there's a line of lyrics in there that says, All a Jag could see were my six taillights, and let's blah, 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 let's race all the way, blah, 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 to Dead Man's Curve. Well, I posted that. We got a lot of response off that thing. And... Uh, it was a pretty cool piece. I thought I had a shot of getting the car, but it was like gone instantaneously. That's that's you know it's one of the. I mean, I I heard about the car. I couldn't get there quick enough. I got hundreds and hundreds of stories like that. But uh, anyway, but if you go check out our Facebook page, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, there's a picture of it, black Corvette. I believe it was red at one point. What was really cool is attack redlined at 6500. So it was either a 340 horse car or a fuelie car, one of the two. But it was a factory four speed car. Had the correct motor. I did a PPI on the car. We can talk about that another time. And uh, I think we got a guest coming on here in a few minutes. So, hey, we're going to take a commercial break. Here is Duran Duran, The View to a Kill. You tune into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. To a kill, face to faces, secret places, feel the chill.
establish a record by actually returning this one. Your new transportation. Maybe you've been down here too long. The ultimate in British engineering. You must be joking. As I learned from my predecessor, Bond, I never joke about my work. Aston Martin call it the vanquish, we call it the vanish. Oh, very good. Adaptive camouflage, tiny cameras on all sides project the image they see onto a light-emitting polymer skin on the opposite side. You see, to the casual eye, it's as good as invisible. Plus all the usual refinements, eject to see torpedoes, target-seeking shotguns to shoot down mobile objects. Why don't you acquaint yourself the manual? You should be able to shoot through that in a couple of hours. Just took a few seconds, Q. Wish I could make you vanish. Mm. Hi, this is Jay Leno, and you're listening to my favorite, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I love building cars that actually get used. I am not a guy that builds cars that I like to see sitting in collections. I love nothing more than for a customer to give me a call, tell me that they uh, just got through driving their car for three or four hours and got it filthy dirty. Okay, we're back and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening the gentleman whose voice you just heard, who built some of the most amazing Porsche 356 Outlaw cars, Rod Emery of Emery Motorsports. Rod, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on tonight. How you doing? Pretty good. So how are things in sunny Southern California, IA? You know, it's great as always. The weather is beautiful. We got amazing roads to drive on, and the car culture is thick and heavy here. Thick and heavy. You know what? I got to envy you guys. Well, I, California's my home state, so I, I'm sure my listeners are sick and tired of me bragging about how great it is out there. However, we do have some of the best roads out there, especially them canyon roads, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Southern California, I mean, everybody talks about, oh, there's traffic everywhere. But, you know, the amazing part about this area, especially where I'm at in uh, the San Fernando Valley, is that within 10 or 15 minutes, you can either be up in Mulholland and, and ripping through the canyons up, you know, on the way to Malibu. Or you can uh, just go northeast a little bit from where my shop is or Leno's shop and be up in Little Tahunga, Big Tahunga, Angeles Crest Highway, and literally just get yourself lost up in the mountains for hours without even uh, passing another car. So, you know, the roads are amazing. And, uh, you know, California actually does a pretty good job maintaining them, keeping them clean and, and uh, you know, allowing us to just have some fun up there. Let me ask you a question. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how the whole outlaw culture kind of in your world came about. Well, you know, I've been building, restoring, and racing vintage Porsches, well, my whole life. But I, I did my first restoration when I was uh, 14 years old and um, uh, started vintage racing at 16. But my story and my family story goes way back. Um, my grandfather, back in the late 40s, early 50s, had a shop right here in Burbank called Valley Custom Shop, 
And uh, his name was Neil Emery, and he was really one of the pioneers of channeling and sectioning old American hot rods and custom cars and um, built the first aluminum-bodied hot rod to go over 200 miles an hour. So SoCal uh, Speed Shop, there was a car called the SoCal Streamliner, an envelope-bodied car that my grandfather had built. And then, you know, lots of other cars uh, that, you know, he built a 29 road road that was... uh, on the cover of Hot Rod Magazine in 1950, and on and on. And so he was he was really one of the pioneers of custom cars here in Southern California. And then in about 1961, 62, he uh, went to work for a Porsche dealership in Newport Beach, California, Chick Iverson, Volkswagen, Porsche, and he took over the body shop and, you know, really brought his craftsmanship and his skills uh, into the body shop repairing old vintage Porsche, well, at the time, brand-new Porsches that got smacked up and, uh, you know, my dad went to work in the parts department when he was 16, 17 years old. And then I came around years later and grew up learning skills from my grandfather, uh, how to, you know, hammer weld and, and uh, gas weld and shape metal and uh, design aspect and, and Porsche love from my father. And so when I was a kid, I was uh, building cars in the back of my dad's parts shop in Costa Mesa, California. And, um, you know, when my dad was selling Porsche parts to all these guys in the 80s that were, at the time, restoring cars full concourse back to absolute original or better than original, um, I was in the back applying some of the, the, you know, skills that my grandfather taught me and uh, making my dad's dreams a reality and hot-rotting out Porsche 356s. So it was a bit of a taboo, you know. It was like, you know, all these guys, all of my dad's customers, they were restoring everything back to stock and I'm ripping the hubcaps off and polishing the drums and we're lowering the cars as low as we can get them and putting Sebring exhausts on it. So what happened was all these Concord guys were calling my dad and I outlaws. And so rather than, uh, uh, you know, get upset about it, we just made a little badge that we stuck on the back of our car at the kind of late eighties that said three fifty six outlaws. And at that point we just didn't really care the heck with it. We'll build, and restore uh, Porsches our way, and they'll either love us or hate us. And uh, now you you know you hear of modified Porsches all over the world referred to as outlaws, uh, but it really just that that term as it's uh, coined or associated with Porsches um, was uh, was first found on the back of our little 356s uh, about 28 30 years ago. Wow. Your grandfather, let me ask you a question. You mentioned uh, SoCal and the belly tankers and stuff like that. He, did he uh, work with guys like uh, Alex Exidius and some of those people back in the day? He did. So my grandfather's uh, best friend growing up was Dean Batchelor. Oh, and, wow. Uh, if you kind of follow, uh, you know, automotive history and journalism, uh, Dean was, you know, one of the, you know, one of the most famous uh, automotive journalists and, in, in, you know, of all time. And, and, um, you know, Dean wrote just about in every book and every magazine, you know, did a lot of how-to articles on how to channel and section stuff. Well, my grandfather was the the subject that he used. A lot of times when he was doing a step-by-step how to, you know, channel and section something, uh, it was my grandfather, his shop. And so um, my, my, my grandfather, Neil, and Dean became really good friends. And when Dean wanted to break the... 
uh, land speed record in 1948, he had an idea of building a flathead uh, streamliner that had an envelope bodied shape, very similar to like the, you know, some of the European, uh, um, you know, stuff that you had seen, the, you know, in the, in, in the forties, um, late forties and, and, you know, so kind of an envelope bodied shape. So, uh, Alex Exidius, you know, he was the master of, of speed, you know, here in, in Southern California and, and he built the chassis and all the running gear. And then my grandfather built the aluminum body and uh, Tano and all the, you know, all the aluminum work for it. And so they collaborated on building this. And then uh, they went over 200 miles an hour and uh, then broke a couple more records. And then eventually the car was totaled uh, and crashed. Uh, I believe it was totaled at, at uh, Daytona Beach uh, Speed Races. But um, so, yeah, my grandfather worked with all those guys. Uh, he had his own shop, but, you know, Custom car culture really, um, even though you know there were people customizing stuff all over all over the world, the trends that were set and really the custom car culture, you know, originated right here in in the San Fernando Valley. You got had guys like Barris and you know Winfield and Dean um, Jeffries. You know, my yeah, Dean Jeffries. They were all buddies and they were all right here within uh, about a ten mile radius. Wow, that's amazing that you were actually, you know, uh, exposed to a lot of that uh, that background there. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, my grandfather was, uh, he passed away uh, about 10 years ago, but he uh, he definitely, um, you know, passed a lot of skills on to me. I've got all of his old hand tools, and, and uh, you know, I spent my life growing up side by side with him, learning how to, how to, you know, tastefully modify and tweak these little cars, so. Now, are you more of a body guy, or uh, are you all just equally as, as uh, versed in, in mechanicals as well? Well, I'm pretty well-rounded. Um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I, I learned metal shaping and body work from my grandfather and my uncle. But then when I was 12 years old, I went to work for uh, a gentleman named Tom Topping. And uh, There's a swap meet in Southern California called the High Performance, Long Beach High Performance Swap Meet. It takes place once a month at Veterans Stadium in Long Beach. And the guy that started that swap meet had a top fuel drag racing team. Um, he used to race an old fuel altered and then um, eventually uh, bought uh, a front engine top fuel dragster. In fact, it was um, McEwen 67 uh, front engine dragster. And in about 1986, uh, I was sweeping floors in his shop and then eventually. Uh, by the time I was 12 years old, I uh, was the left side mechanic um, pulling old iron uh, Hemi heads off of a top fuel dragster. And all of my teammates were all kids that were uh, from age 12 to 16. So we were we were kind of like, you know, it's kind of like bad news bears. We were 12 <laughs> to 16 year old kids uh, building uh, a nostalgia top fuel dragster. And in 1987, we were um, NDRA champions. Uh, here in California, uh, with, um, uh, just amazing experience. So what happened was working for Tom topping, um, you know, he was, uh, he owned a big hardware company called specialty fasteners. So he was a machinist and an engine builder and, uh, taught me, you know, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, not only how to build engines, but also how to, uh, use a full machine shop. And, and then, uh, kind of fast forward a little bit. I started vintage racing when I was 16 and, and um, also uh, raced a, uh, an off-road buggy when I was 
17, 18 years old. And so I learned chassis setup and shock dynamics and how to, you know, rebuild and, and dyno shocks. And so kind of well-rounded, you know, um, and uh, I was just one of those kids that it, I just couldn't get enough information. and I couldn't, you know, find enough opportunities to, to work my tail off and learn stuff from some of the best. And um, so, you know, my knowledge, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm, you know, jack of all trades, master at none, because I've really kind of mastered a few things. But, um, you know, I, I have a pretty well-rounded, um, um, you know, background. Um, you know, I'm 43 years old, and been building, racing and restoring cars, well, since I was, you know, eight years old. So um, that's, that's kind of my experience. So a little bit of everything, you know. Super. Well, now this is our 356th show, hence 356th, hence Porsches, and I couldn't think of anybody more appropriate to have on the show because I love 356s. You're a 356 guy, but you kind of came out with uh, what I would consider kind of like the ultimate 356, these outlaw cars. Now, take us through the process of not the not an extreme version, but let's just say a pretty pretty decent 356 outlaw. What what uh, what are the what are the what are the characteristics? So a, a standard 356, uh, you know, which they built from from 1950 until 1965. Um, you know, they were you know an amazing car, both from an engineering standpoint and also design. Their their rear engine swing axle, like a Volkswagen, um, and they had typically you know a 1600cc engine, four speed gearbox and drum brakes. A little later, they went to disc brakes, but you know. Uh, they were a, a really great handling little car, but, you know, they had 60 to 90 horsepower, drum brakes, a four-speed transmission, and, and um, you know, they, they were wonderful at the time, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and in, even into the 70s. But, you know, as cars have progressed and, you know, people's taste and desires to go a little faster and freeway speeds, you know, and set, 55 just doesn't get you anywhere anymore. Everybody thinks they need to drive 80 on the freeway. You know, a 356 in stock configuration is um, a little underpowered and a little underbraked to, to really be able to, you know, uh, get out there and, and push it. So what's happened is my experience with racing and all this other stuff, you know, I've really found, you know, some amazing potential in a 356. And so the cars that I build today, I start with, I always start with an original 356. We do all the rust repair because all these cars need repair. And we stiffen the chassis a little bit. And then I change the rear suspension to IRS, so like 911 rear suspension, because that's really one of the weak links in a 356 from a handling perspective. It's just the, the, the rear suspension um, because it, uh, it's constantly changing camber. So change it to 911 suspension, put a five-speed gearbox in it, bump the motor up to uh, or the engine up to anywhere from 185 to 250 horsepower, so almost tripling it, and um, giving it disc brakes and a five-speed transmission. So now all of a sudden you've got a 356 that that has uh, some, you know, get up and go. It'll stop, and it's 12 volts, so the lights are brighter, and sometimes I put roll bars in them and uh, do some little race tricks to them. Um, but overall, it, my, my Emory Outlaw cars or my 356 Outlaws just drive a little better, handle a little better, go a little faster, and um, allow somebody to, to have the charm, the smell, the feeling of being in a 356, but have a little more modern driving capabilities. 
Interesting. So what you could say is it's almost as if you're uh, resto-modding, if you want to use the term loosely, a, a 356, right? Yeah. I mean, essentially, it's, um, you know, just like everybody's done for years with Mustangs and, you know, and uh, and Camaros and everything else, um, I'm doing it with a 356. The only difference is that I'm using all factory parts, just using um, evolved Porsche parts, so stuff from later cars. I've now adapted them to the earlier cars. You know, what's brilliant about a Porsche is the design was never just, like, thrown away. So even the 356s, the way that the design, the engineering, everything kind of evolved into what you see today. So it's fairly straightforward. I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's. It, I have the ability to take the 911 suspension and adapt it and interact it with this 356 chassis, just like I use the brakes off of uh, a mid-90s 911. Uh, so now I've got disc brakes on there that are, you know, so I don't, I don't go out and just buy a, you know, a late model, you know, gearbox out of a, a catalog. I use all Porsche parts, but they're just a little bit later Porsche parts, and I adapt them and make them work to these 356s. So would it be fair to say that there is some engineering involved in this? It's not like you just grabbing a piece here and a piece there and you're welding and fabricating. You've actually taken the time to correctly engineer. And, and, and going back to your point about, you know, the Porsche, really, the 356 kind of evolved a little bit over the years. You know, drum brake, disc brake, single mount, dual mount, back to, to, to dual mounts. Um, the 911, yep. and so on and so on. And then the 1989-90, when it came out with the C2, the independent rear suspension, uh, so it's kind of not real complicated to see the evolution and how you could actually, for all practical purposes, retrofit, um, the later model 911 stuff to a 356 because essentially it's the same car. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just finished, uh, building a, the first all wheel drive 356 using all 964 C4 running gear. Oh, wow. Um, you know, the, the, the overall wheelbase yeah. is... 170 millimeters longer, so I had to shorten the wheelbase, which meant, you know, shortening the torque tube and a couple of components. But but by utilizing a, a mixture of Porsche parts, I was able to get all that under the fenders and make it all work. And, um, yeah, there's some engineering involved. I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, leveraged some technology to do it. I, I 3D scan some of the stuff so that I can digitally make sure that everything's going to interact before I just start hacking things up. Um, we, um, uh, you know, we, we take these parts, you know, people ask for well, Rod, you know, this is crazy. Why do you do this? And, you know, it's, it's really what I've done my whole life, you know, growing up in a Porsche parts environment. My dad was a parts man. Uh, I grew up in the back of his parts warehouse and in the, in the parts department of a Porsche dealership, kind of looking at warehouses full of parts, not necessarily knowing how they go together, but figuring it out. And, uh, you know, some kids played with Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs. I played with Porsche parts. So uh, <laughs> to me, it's kind of se- to me, it's second nature. You know, I, I look at a, a C4, uh, you know, uh, transmission and say, yeah, I, I can fit that into a 356, but I got to use the tunnel out of a C4 to make it work, you know. So um, it's just, it's, it's fun, you know. That's, uh, but the brilliance of a Porsche and and the way that they were designed, um, you know, like I said, they they didn't just scrap everything. They uh, they just evolved the design. So you just have to kind of put your head in 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 the right space and just say, how can I, you know, tweak this and make it work on an earlier car? And that's what I love doing. Well, I got to tell you, um, 
the term an Emory outlaw is huge in the 356 Porsche world. I mean, you have built quite a reputation and quite a brand. I mean, if anybody was going to have an, I mean, myself, if I could afford uh, an outlaw, it would be an Emory outlaw because you have done a fantastic job and your cars are known all over the world. I mean, it's just uh, so kudos to you there, Rod. Well, well, I really appreciate that. You know, I mean, the, the fun part of it is I, I've been doing this, you know, I've been doing this, you know, almost 30 years and, uh, you know, built a lot of cars. And, and what I love about today and where we're at as a car community and a car culture is that I think things like social media and radio shows like this and, and uh, the, you know, the events that are going on these days, um, it's, it's broadened the interest and, and our ability to share you know, the digital platforms have, have given us the ability to really share and interact with people from, you know, all ages. And so, um, you know, the, what I love nothing more is when I, you know, get a call or an email or a direct message or a text from, you know, somebody that just turned 16 that, oh, Rod, I love the way your cars look. Someday that's what I want. And then five minutes later, I get a call from somebody that's 85 years old that says, Rod, I was just on Instagram and I was looking at these cars that you build. And I had a 356 just like that and wished that it shifted like a, a new car. You know, so it's, um, you know, where it used to be, you could only pick up, a, a, you know, a print magazine to learn about this stuff. We're able to share and inspire others and interact with each other in a way that we just couldn't years ago. And, uh, and I love that because that's going to, that's going to, you know, let these cars live on for generations. It's, uh, they're not going to die with the old craftsmen, you know. Let me ask you a question now. So let's just take a, a an Emory Outlaw in terms of cost, production, conversion, the whole nine yards versus the restoration of an authentic 356. And let's just say a 64 coupe, you know, just a nice looking coupe. Well, we'll throw in a sunroof because yep. I'm a sunroof guy. So to build your car versus to restore one, how much of a price difference? If you if you said to, if you came to me and said Robert, here I can either I can build you this an outlaw that will do this this and this and perform like a like a 911, or I can give you a really really nice original 356 that's an original 356. Give me an idea so yeah. how, how that would work. No 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 problem. And and first of all, um, I I don't do any stock restorations anymore. Okay. Um, just because there's lots of really great quality shops out there that do them and uh, do them very well. I, I do do some point-in-time restorations. I actually just finished the uh, first Porsche that ever, the first Porsche race car and the first Porsche to ever win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Um, that car I just finished in uh, August of last year, and it went to Pebble Beach. Um, so that was an authentic restoration, exactly back to how it started. But I, So I don't really do any stock restorations anymore. But to give you an idea of kind of the values of, uh, of the cars and where the market stands, you know, if you were to buy a nice little driver 65 sunroof coupe, uh, you know, that car today is going to cost you about 75000 bucks. just let's just say, mm-hmm. for a nice little driver. Right. Um, and if you were to find a project, it's probably going to be 50000 or maybe sixty. that one that needs to be restored. Um, and if you were to go out and buy one that was fully restored, meaning that somebody had taken that car a hundred percent apart, did a full restoration on it, and it's you know as good or better than it ever was, you're going to spend about one hundred and fifty grand is what the market value, maybe one hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty for a perfect example of a 
a C sunroof coupe. Um, you know, to take that $50,000 project car and make it that um, $150,000 car is going to cost you every bit of $100,000 uh, to do a restoration, probably about one hundred and twenty-five. dollars if, you know, uh, any one of the, you know, restoration shops around the country was to do it, kind of back stock, meaning you had a car that was perfect, but it would needed full restoration, take it apart, restore it. So, you know, it's hard to kind of justify that because, you know, now you got about one hundred and fifty dollars to $175,000 in a car that's, you know, barely worth that. But that's just the nature of, you know, where things are at these days. The cars that I build, um, obviously the donor car is going to start about the same. The only difference is I don't have to have a car that has a numbers matching engine or numbers matching transmission. That doesn't really matter because I'm not going to use those components. Um, but it's going to cost you about $200,000 to do what I do to it. So it's going to cost you more than it is to restore its stock. And, um, you know, you're going to end up with about, because the starting car is about 50, you're going to end up with a car that out of pocket about 250. Um, and people say, wow, you know, that's crazy. But the, all of my cars that I've built over the years have always sold for at least what the cost of build was. It's just kind of the nature of it because I can only build so many cars a year. I can only keep up with, with, uh, with, you know, the demand so much. I build about anywhere from 10 to 12 cars a year. And uh, most of my clients um, that I've built them for love them, keep them forever, and uh, just enjoy the heck out of them. And if one ever comes up for sale, they're typically it's sold, you know, immediately because there's somebody that doesn't really want to wait for the process. Um, so, you know, to answer your, I know that's a long-winded answer, but the bottom line is, if you wanted a stock restoration, you'd be in it, you know, with a donor car about 150. If you wanted one of my cars, you'd be in it about 250. Okay. Well, no, your cars uh, definitely speak for themselves. We got a couple minutes left, actually two. So, uh, you, are you uh, free to kind of drop some names on some celebrities that uh, own some cars that you have built? <laughs> um, you know, I, I typically keep it pretty private. Okay, that's fine. Um, oh, the people that I, the people, but but I can tell you, I, I am building a really cool car for a guy that I know doesn't mind me uh, talking about him, and uh, and that's John Oates from uh, the, the the amazing band, uh, you know, Hall and Oates. So uh, I'm doing a really cool car for John, um, a gift to himself for his 70th birthday, and um, you know the car's progressing very well, and uh, we'll deliver it to him uh, next April. So. Uh, that's a that's a fun project that I'm doing with John. Okay, good. Now, some of your uh, videos are out there. Why don't you tell people, let's share some social media information uh, about Emory Motorsports. Tell people, because I know Petrolicious and 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 uh, on YouTube. So tell people where they can find out a little bit more about you and some of the videos that you've done. Sure, yeah. I mean, one of the best places to, to interact with me and, and uh, get kind of instant feedback and photos and videos is Instagram. Uh, and it's my personal Instagram account. It's Rod Emery, R-O-D-E-M-O-R-Y. And then on Facebook, uh, Emery Motorsports. So facebook.com uh, slash Emery Motorsports. Or our website, uh, which is Emery, E-M-O-R-Y, motorsports.com. And uh, you can kind of get to any one of our social media sites and video sites from there. But yeah, we've done some great videos with Petrolicious and uh, Bloomberg TV and, um, you know, lots of different, uh, different media sources, uh, 
and uh, love uh, love the opportunity to be on here, uh, you know, on your show. Appreciate it. Thank you. And don't forget, you were on Jay Leno's Garage too, had an episode there. I was, yeah, actually, two episodes. We did one with two of our outlaw cars, and then uh, one with the Lamar winning uh, uh, 1951 uh, 356 SL. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, Rod, you make some amazing cars. You will be at Monterey for sure this year, right? As usual. Well, I don't know. There, there's a possibility I might not be in Monterey this year, but uh, definitely a lot of my cars will be. I, I, I have a, a family uh, commitment that week this year. I've been to Monterey every year for 20 years. Uh, this year might be the year that I'm not there, but uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, if not, uh, I'm sure some of your cars will be at the Porsche Works reunion in Monterey. We look forward to seeing you if you can make it. In the meantime, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I want to thank my special guest this evening, Rod Emery of Emery Motorsports, Mr. 356 Outlaw himself. Rod, you take care. Look forward to seeing you sometime in the future. And then, uh, hey, all my listeners, don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network here between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Don't forget to visit our visit, visit <laughs> our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Hey, if you need an appraisal, if you need a PPI, don't forget to give us a call. Check out our website. Car show's coming up. Check out our website. Check out FloridaCarShows.com. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and happy Memorial Day. telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen. Listen.